it's so cool. She's just looking. Oh, okay. Started. You're starstruck you're, over my daughter. Your daughter is staring at me. Yeah. Get over it, man. Show's beginning. Don't you hear the music? Ow! Howdy, everybody. I'm Robert. And I'm Ira. And this is Anti-Wave. Yes, it is. A podcast all about the films that aren't part of Hollywood. Aren't part of Hollywood, because the film we're discussing today is... Once Upon a Time. Upon a Time in Hollywood. In Hollywood. You know, there's an ellipse before in Hollywood. Isn't it's it ellipses? I think you taught me that years ago. It's an ellipse. Ellipses? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how to spell that word? It, it, we're referring to the three dots. Yeah. Dot, yes. dot, dot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ellipses e-l-e-p-s-i-s mm. right yeah so it's stylized that and way if the it's multiple it's ellipses <laughs> <laughs> and the top five we're doing this week period films H- hollywood period film uh, oh. did you include hollywood period no film? i just said period mines are all about like menstruation and just being on the rag, Crimson Wave. I'd like to have a new partner. I'd like to apologize to all of our listeners right now. Why well, you said period films? That's what I thought. Producer Joey, help no, me. No, what do you mean? This has to be about Hollywood? Well, I did lock in oh, seriously because I, I wrote that. Hollywood period no, pieces. I, didn't. I thought we just said period films. No, you can take a look at the text. All right, well, now we got to see the exchange. Oh, you're not going to let this go, are you? Hell no. Go ahead. Do it. Well, you do that in right the now. meantime. It's one of the times, many times that I'm right. Mm-hmm. Let's briefly. One of the times you're right. Whatever. <laughs> You've been right yeah. once before. Yeah. Surely. Okay, go ahead. Um, in the meantime, let's talk about some top five from last week. Last week, our uh, top five was top five martial arts films. This listener wrote in with, um, I'm just going to go down down the line here. Ong Bak, Kung Pao, Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, Police Story, Revenge, Revenge of the Ninja. Uh, are you big on martial arts films? No, what's the, you know what? I want to ask you a question. Yeah. What's the appeal? What seriously? Because uh, I think there are, it's the there stunts. Are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. I think it's and the stunts. It does appeal to people's base raw instincts, doesn't it? Of hitting people and hurting people. Ah, I won't go. You know. <laughs> I'm sorry. How was that? Ah, yeah, yeah. What's up with that? I feel like a lot of that got amplified with Miss Piggy when she did. Hi-ya! You know, <laughs> there was a lot of that going on. Uh, man, we're just really stereotyping I, I right know. now. Yeah, hey, we, this. we. Well, you started it, but I start. Okay, go ahead. What's the appeal? But I will finish it. Ah, see, that comes right out of a karate. Movie. That was subtitled. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's in podcast form. So, yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, you did say Hollywood period piece uh-huh. movies. Thank you. Are you saying I was right? Well, I just said period pieces earlier, uh-huh. and then you were texting me right as I was getting ready to leave. I went to Vegas this weekend. Yeah. You were texting me as I was packing up the car, and uh-huh. I just saw period pieces. Oh. So that's yeah. what I thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, so you're just doing period pieces. Yeah. And then I didn't respond to that. And later on, you said, um, "Have you done your top five? And I said, "I did top five period pieces." Right. Right. But I didn't do Hollywood period pieces. I understand. You're the only one who ever said Hollywood. I never said Hollywood. You know what? Instead of that, we should have done love letters too. That should because I thought about that. Yeah. We should say that we had two going. We were vying back and forth. Well, every week we decide what top five right, to right. do. And you suggested a top five uh, love, love, letter love letters films. too because this indeed was a love letter about Hollywood and its heyday. Not heyday, well. Let's save that because I want to talk about. I really that. like that. Yeah, I really like that. Well, we so should have done that. I know. So I've done a 180 on you, and I laid it. If you want to go back, but it's fine. So I'm doing Hollywood period piece movies. You're doing period piece movies. I guess general. so. That means we're not going to overlap. Maybe. Maybe we still will. We won't. We're, we won't. Yeah. 
All right. Well, um, hey, man, what'd you see this week? Are you saying it's time for Summer Old, Summer New? We now present the Week in Review. That's what I'm saying. Who's going first? Um, You go first. Steve Jobs. I think we spoke about this movie once. It was on broadcast TV. This is the black and white one? Or is is this the one with Ashton Kushner? No. No. No, is it not black and white? It's not black and white. Danny Boyle directed this one. Is this the one that's like the three acts or the three different plays? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Fassbender. Fassbender Right. I was was thinking it was black and white, but I guess it's not. No, it's in color. It's in color. It's very muted. muted. It's muted, but it's in color. It's so muted that in my brain it's black and white. That's right. I understand. Yeah. Just like with Hollywood period pieces. Yeah. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Danny Boyle, you know, Aaron Sorkinson, he he wrote it. And Seth Rogen. I enjoy seeing Seth Rogen in this film as well. So I saw that, and I went from one extreme to the other, Robert. Then I went to see a movie called, it was shown on regular TV, called Sex Devil. Mm. Sex Devil was a Showtime movie, and it was all about the devil who uh, gave birth to a a little girl, and then 27 years later, she was the daughter of Satan, and she decided to uh, wreak havoc. Yeah, saw that movie. Is it wreak havoc? Is it wreck or wreak? Is it wreak? W R E A K. Yeah, Reek. you're right. It's not wreck. That's like wreck it Ralph. Yeah. Reek it Ralph. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. I saw something we actually considered perhaps doing last year puzzle. Oh. Puzzle. You're familiar with it? I remember vaguely us talking yeah. about it. Yeah. We were ready to go with puzzle. We changed our mind at the last minute. It's 2018, and it was Kelly McDonald. She's done interesting stuff. In fact, uh, she was in the first. Oh, God. What's the movie in Scotland? We saw the sequel. We saw the part two. Oh, the train spotting. Train spotting. She yeah. was in the original train spotting. And a woman who is ho hum housewife and takes on this uh, puzzle competition. Oh, I will do the dishes. Is that what she? Is that how she did it? Well, because you're doing the accent. Oh, she's just because she's ho hum. She's got ho hum. Yes. Okay. It's a good movie. Yeah. It was really an interesting uh, character. Did you figure it study. out? Study. Did you solve the puzzle? It's not about the puzzle, my friend. Oh. In fact, it's a metaphor for oh. life. Oh. So did Re- you figure it out? No, oh. it's beyond me. Oh, okay. Real fast, I saw, I saw, and I asked you why you went to see this, the remake of Flatliners. When you saw it in the theater, I turned to you. I said, why would you even go see that? And you said, I don't know. Yeah. The, the sequel it was the on remake. TV. It was on, it was on yeah. TV. That's why I saw it. You were interested in seeing I it. I was interested in seeing it. There it was on TV. I also saw one more I want to mention. On regular TV, Con Air. What a, I think? Didn't what, you watch this last week? What I think you brought this up last week. Con Air. Yeah, didn't no, you? No, you're having a deja vu moment. Guess so. You're having a deja vu. Could have sworn you mentioned that last week. No, I just saw it a couple nights ago. Again, what a kick-ass. Maybe movie. you're having a deja maybe, vu moment. Oh, you're right. Maybe early well, onset al- Alzheimer's is kicking in. Yeah. It's maybe about you don't even time. know what movies you're watching. It's about time. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Con Air. I haven't seen this in years. <laughs> I don't. But it, hey, puzzle. What? I, <laughs> Am I going downhill from now on? <laughs> You're are not you, going uphill. Are that's you, for are you losing your partner? What a crazy kick-ass movie, Con Air. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, it's bad, but it's good. Right. It's, it's good, a popcorn bad. movie. It does what it's supposed to do. That's exactly what you said last week when you no, talked I about it. No, I didn't talk about it last week. <laughs> All right. That's what I saw. And you? All right. Uh, this week, uh, I watched... You know what I watched? Is I watched the Vietnam War, the Ken Burns documentary. Oh, how was that? It was good. Uh, it... it Oddly, did not talk at all about Vietnam the entire time. He was talking about the invention of the hula hoop and the invention of the yo-yo. That's all he talked about. It was weird. I thought he was eventually going to talk about... You're giving me a look as if I'm real. Robert? Robert? <laughs> who's having deja... No. Who, so the Vietnam who's, War... Who's losing it now? Uh, it, it's good. I mean, it's Ken Burns. It always needs to be cut down. That's a critique I have of Ken Burns' stuff. It, 
it's very deep and factual, but it's also very slow. And uh, those films put you to sleep. But if you can suffer through them and stay awake, then they're uh, they're rewarding because you become very knowledgeable about the subject matter. I did go back and watch the Social Network. I've been meaning you to did. do it for a while, and, and I I'm did really do it. Curious um, to hear what you're about to say. My score did not improve. I had a fear that it wouldn't. You wouldn't, and I wanted it to. I know you did. I really I could did. Feel that you wanted it to. I was looking forward it was to it. Going to be like another The Rock. Yeah, movie, but it wasn't. It just wasn't. It what didn't was off for me. for you? What did not? Work? A lot of the acting was just over the top. Um, I feel like it's that same way in a lot of his films. Uh, people just. It's a little over. It, it's. It's too much. Uh, I think that's what I like about Zodiac so much is that he. It's not overacted. Um, I also feel that same way about the game. I feel like in the game, he's not overacting. Uh, no one, no one. Well, I guess maybe there's a few scenes, but it's not overly done. When Sean Penn shows up and he's out of his mind, there's reason for him to be out of his right. mind. It's motivated. Right. right. So I did watch those. I did watch a film called uh, Suture. Have you heard of Suture? No. This is a black and white film from 1993, and it stars the, uh, do you know the, the Allstate commercials with the black guy who's got the very deep voice? In your hands. With yeah. Allstate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he starred in it. It's a 1993 film. And it's very unusual. Uh, this is uh, like a, a film from the uh, um, uh, Film Festival. What's the uh, Toluride? This was uh, made the film festival circuit and was a, a really interesting film about these two identical brothers. It reminded me of what's the. Oh, Kron- I know what Kronenberg you're saying. Dead Ringers. Yeah, Dead Ringers. Reminded me of yes. Dead Ringers in a way. Um, but it. the. The story centers around one. Okay, so they're estranged. They didn't. They didn't grow up knowing each other, but they're very similar looking. And one is a like very rich millionaire, and the other is our uh, our, our black guy. Uh, I, I forget his name. Uh, I think his his character's name is Clay in the movie. And I think the older one's name is um, Harry. What's this? What's what was it called? Vincent. Vincent. Thank you. So Vincent. Now here's the thing, Vincent is a white guy who looks nothing at all like Clay. The actors do not resemble each other at all. But that's kind of the whole, that's the gimmick of the movie, is that the entire time you're watching these two characters who everyone says, you guys look exactly alike, and they look nothing alike to us. Uh, one is white and has like you know, thin lips, hair pulled back in a ponytail. The other is black and just completely different features. It's not a comedy. Uh, this is a drama. Yeah. But the Vincent, the rich guy, stages his own death by kind of setting his brother up to drive his car and rigs up a car bomb and basically assassinates himself uh, so that he can get away from some sort of uh, financial debt or whatever his problems were. Uh, he then, but it turns out that the the new kind of uh, poor brother, the Discover brother, uh, he is misfigured, has to get all this plastic surgery, and he's trying to. He shows up with a case of amnesia. He can't remember that his brother has set him up, and he's trying to figure out what it was that uh, that fucked him up in the first place. It's a very odd film. Wow, it's really and, cool. And I want to ask you this question: since they were so dissimilar physically, was your brain able to fill in the gap? No, mm-hmm. I mean. It, no, it, it it drew attention to itself. Right. But it was you you were on for the ride. You're, you're kind of on like, for the ride even I mean I do this I mean you do that every time you watch a movie and the the kid in the movie is the you know the offspring of two parents who look nothing like the child. You know, it's very clear that this kid is not from these two parents and you kind of you're like okay, I'll just I'll go with it. 
it bumps you. Suspension of disbelief. But right. Well, actually, yes, sir. But you didn't buy into it, but it didn't matter because you were on board for the ride anyway. Right. Right. Got it. It's really very, it's their first feature film. It's the two friends. Um, I can't remember their names, but the directors were the, the writer directors were two buddies out of film school and they've made subsequent films together. Uh, they've all kind of been independent film darlings and uh, nothing that I think that you would have heard of. But this is a cool little independent film from early 90s shot in black and white, very kind of avant garde, but really cool. And um, and an interesting ride. It's a, It was an interesting film it was shot really well, it looked beautiful uh, and it was pretty captivating. There's something really cool to it. Nice. Anyway, it's called Suture. Check it out. Was it as good as Sex Devil? Uh, it probably not. Uh, it's on board. I guess I'm, it's taking me a while to really compare the notes. <laughs> hey, I want. Are, was that your weekend review? That was yeah, my weekend. I want to mention something. Um, you mentioned last week about Jesse Eisenberg that he was a child actor, yeah. and so was his sister. And someone sent me a um, a YouTube link. Yeah, I think it was you. It was me, but it was you. Yeah, I, I sent that yeah. to you. You were right. I had no idea. His kid's sister with the red curly hair did a series of commercials for Pepsi. Yeah. And then they had fun with her voice and like they had another actor, right. deep voice. And it was like an, they, a whole bunch of them. She did I a bunch of commercials this. and short films and things like that. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah. 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 You said she had red hair. She doesn't have red hair. Curly. It's dark. What was it? Dark. It's dark. Yeah. But it's curly. Very, very curly hair she stopped acting didn't she i think she did. i think so i, I haven't seen her around very much I, every once in a while um just when i think about that idea like last week i was looking her up and you run across pictures of her and you're going oh my gosh she she i'm not saying that she looks ugly by today's standards but she was so cute back then right it's hard to uphold that level of cuteness and you expect it to be so you know you expect know. her to be this same kind of cute rambunctious rodney like, allen rippy do you know who that is? No. Oh, yeah, it doesn't mean anything to you? No. Oh, he was in those commercials. There was a commercial back 25 years ago, and he's a cute, pudgy kid. Is this became, the Mikey Ate became, It kid? He, no, that's somebody else, but he became a, a pudgy, homely kid instead. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You well, Haley Joel because, Osman was definitely that way. Haley's, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a big guy now. Yeah, I know. I yeah. know. Yeah. The cuteness. He's got like a big forehead, which was cute when he did those movies. You right, know what I mean? Right. But now the large forehead. Does not do him. It doesn't work for him. He's a good actor, though. I he's do like him. He's a good actor, but he's got a distinct look that yeah. will work against him. Yeah. Kind of squinty eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, man. You want yeah. to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Robert, talk us through it. All right. It's going to be hard to summarize the the story of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If you haven't seen it, and I mean, I think we're going to be talking about a lot of spoilers. There's definitely some spoilers that we're going to be discussing. Um. In particular, you know, Tarantino comes out when this was released in Cannes, um, and he says to the audience, famously, to not tell the big twist That's ending. Right. So the storyline centers around a um, a fading Western TV star and his stunt double, and kind of um, the, the I guess the next door neighbors are Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski, and this is set in the time period of uh, of the Manson murder, so it's late '60s and. Uh, famously, Charles Manson in real life went to uh, the the Tate house and murdered everybody that was inside. Uh, actually, he didn't. He sent people to do it. Right. And this is kind of uh, what would happen if the if Leonardo DiCaprio's character and Brad Pitt's character were kind of to get more involved, and what might be an alternate reality. Hmm. So all of the events that lead up to the night of the murders are the same. It's just, there's a, a little twist there and all of a sudden they wind up going to Leo's house instead of Sharon's house. I like how I'm confusing the character's name with the actor's name. 
Anyway, which is easy. Yeah. Rick Dalton. So, Thank you. That, that's, that's it. That's it. So Rick Dalton's house. All right. There's a lot to unpack here in terms of Ooh. the plot because there's so much of this movie that went nowhere. This was a maze with about a thousand dead ends, I felt like. Did you disagree? No, I do agree. Yeah. In fact, I felt... Did you feel the first hour was just lag? And yes. Long? The first hour. It needed to be cut. The first hour. This was crazy. I'm going to go. How long well, was the I'm, movie? Like two. Almost three hours. Close to three. I'm going to say the first two and a half hours felt lagging. The fir- like uh, driving in the car, driving in the yes. car with the cold music, driving in the car, driving in the car, driving in the car, cool music, it. driving in the car. Dri- we got You know it. who Quentin needs? An editor. Uh, you know, remember Sally, Sally Minkin? That she was the famous editor. She edited all of us and she died in a hiking accident, remember, yeah. with her dog? And he needs Sally back. Yeah. We agree. Uh, we do. You didn't go apeshit over this movie, did you? I was, I mean, I think like everybody, I'm, everyone was really excited about this film. And we didn't get Tarantino until the last 30 minutes. Like the last 30 minutes of this movie, that was Tarantino that we were expecting, but we didn't get any of that. There was no real clever dialogue. There was no, there was nothing iconic about this movie until the last 15 minutes. Why is it getting all these glowing reviews? And it is getting a lot of positive, some mixed, people just, no one wants to be on the wrong side of history here. No one wants to be saying, I hated Tarantino's movie. I remember very specifically when Pulp Fiction came out, um, the reviewer in Knoxville, Tennessee, because that, that's where I grew up. Her name was Betsy Pickle, and she gave Pulp Fiction like one or two stars, something like that. And then after it got super big, she went back and adjusted her oh, score to five stars. She caved in. To, right. She caved, she caved. And it's like, look, you can't stand yeah, by your score. Yeah. So, Mrs. Pickle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very clear. And I remember being irate, seeing it every week in the, in the newspaper, and then she changed it. And I was like, what the fuck? This is... You're totally disingenuous, and I think that's the case here. Is no one wants to, no one wants to have this bad score follow them around. I so agree with you. I was wondering if we're going to agree on yeah. this point. On this point, I want. Let me just back up and say something. I mean, we were uh, so excited. I'm sorry to oh, interrupt you. Oh, we were you, so excited. This is not. A, this is not one of those we're trying to hate on the film. We we were ready for it. Go ahead. I'm a bit older than you. My birthday is next week. Uh, not was, much. Not much. I was born like in 1947. Months. The movie takes place in 1969, so I was 22 years old. Is that right? That is right. Yeah. I was 22 years old when this film takes place, and it was my era. I would date and go to oh, Moose and Frank. Is that your phone? Whose phone is going off? Somebody Is that your phone? No, no, mine's Somebody's off. making Wait, noise. is it mine? I don't know. I keep hearing a phone ding in the background. Is it an iPad or something? What's going I on? I think it was me. Was it you? After all that, I'm the one who calls I, out. I thought I saw your phone light up, up there, it lit too. Up, so yes, I did. Yeah, I forgot. I'm the one who forgot. Now, what listen. fuck? 19... Ira, 20, let's act like professionals, yeah, all right? Okay. And I'm the one who always says, turn off your cell phones, everyone. Yeah, yeah right. I fucked up. My era, when I was 22, I would go on dates to Musso and Frank's. I'd go to the Bruin Theater in Westwood. And for me, seeing these moments recreated was pretty powerful stuff for me. Um, I used to go to a Casa Vega a lot in Studio City on Ventura Boulevard. El Coyote on Beverly Boulevard. These were all my places, my hangouts. So I think I had a stronger, almost like a visceral reaction that I, it resonated. There you yeah. go. It resonated more with me than I think for you because I was living here then and I was going out and dating sure. then. That's what I got out of the movie. That kind of a rush. That's what I got and little more. I got little else beyond that. Do you think that this was... Now, I said to you, 
one of the possible top fives that we should do is a love story or love letter. Yes. Do you think this was a love letter to cinema or a love letter That's, to I thought the early 60s? LA. Early LA, sixties, oh, not even Hollywood. But if we're going to do the love letter category, uh, I would say it's a love letter to late sixties LA. Do you agree with that? I don't know if More it's so much Hollywood. LA. There's some shots of LA. Well, I mean, I guess it is because of Chatsworth, LA County. Yeah, yeah, and and Hollywood, but and just, Sunset, and uh, okay, so. the driving, for example. All of that was total masturbation. It was just, let me show you how many cars we were able to put on the back. I know. And all you're looking for, all I was looking at in the background are, where's the 1989 Toyota Corolla? Right, right. And I'm not seeing it. So uh, you did a really good job of finding all these uh, these era-specific cars. Yes. Yeah. I was obsessed with that too. Looking at the cars in the background on the freeway, the Hollywood freeway, the 101. We right, saw and about, all it does and, is pull me out. Right, right. It pulled it, you out because you're, it became like a game right. uh, to see if you could, oh, wait, there's a contemporary car in the background. Right. Uh, we got you, Quentin. And it does pull you out when you play that game. It doesn't pull you in. Was the dialogue snappy here? No. There were a few, there were two or three snappy lines. There were. There were two, I actually laughed at one point, but man, this is not a typical Tarantino For a three-hour movie. Three-hour movie with two or three. Especially with Tarantino at the helm. Clever lines, clever lines, yeah. Was it well-directed? I don't know. It, it, God, I'm going to say it did what, it was, it was an odd, it almost felt like the third act was a different movie. You were about to say something. What you were about to say it did what it was supposed to do, but it didn't. didn't. You saw me catch myself. It did not do you what it was supposed to do because it was that. supposed it to did. enthrall all of the and it didn't the general public and right. the, the the cinephiles, the people who love to go to movies, and most everybody that I know that really likes films has not praised this. They've not said it's bad. It's just kind of you know. Sorry, go ahead. I interrupted. Yeah, no, it didn't do what it was supposed to do. Hey, a couple of things I'm curious about. Yeah. I don't know. Even before I saw the movie, I was wondering if, and when I was watching the movie, I was wondering if the two characters, the two leads should have switched. Can you hmm. see that? Because I was having trouble buying Leonardo with his background and what he was doing as a star. If anything, Brad Pitt, I thought, would have been, looks more like a movie star. Can you appreciate that? Uh, I get what Pitt you looks mean. more like a movie star. I get it. I thought it. those two actors should have shifted, changed. I think the problem, roles. I never would have bought that Leonardo DiCaprio looks like a stuntman. He's too he's soft. Is he kind of pudgy? Yeah. Now, he's I'm, also, I'm glad you said this. No, he's pudgy and he's effeminate. He's yes, a, a he's, little effeminate. This is so great, Robert. I noticed in the movie looks, that his fingers are getting fat. I'm telling you, this guy's going to Marlon Brando on us. He's going to get fucking huge by the time he's in I his agree. 60s. I agree. There were some tabloid photos of him like five, six years ago at the beach without a shirt on. He where he had quite fat. a big tummy. Yeah. And he worked it off. He worked it off. But you can see he's got a propensity to gaining weight. Yeah. He's pudgy. He's round. He does have a double chin. And you'll notice at the end of the credit crawl, at the very end, he even mocks his own double chin. Right. Do you stay for that? Yeah. So there's an awareness of that. And there's an effeminate quality about him. I thought they should switch rolls i do i do i, I don't know that it. i agree with that i i think i bought brad pitt and what he was doing brad pitt i think played his part really well he agreed was, he was silent most of the time he didn't say anything he didn't need to he was confident in what he was doing he was pretty good in in this movie i felt like um i actually felt like he was better in this than he was in inglorious bastards inglorious bastards he was overdoing it a little too much here he, he just sat back and just let the film kind of coast and he comes out looking uh ahead i'm really starting to have a problem I, i'm not starting 
I've already had this problem, and it's amplifying. I'm having a problem with Leonardo DiCaprio as a leading man. I don't think he's built as a leading man. He's, he's not. He he's being shoe-wedged in into a lot of these roles. Where is this coming from? Who's, who's he's an been? asshole. I think I really find him to be... He's a, a wonderful villain. And in Django Unchained, he was great because he was playing an asshole. He's playing a racist asshole. And I was like, great. I find him to truly be an asshole... Plus these these stories. I don't know if you heard a lot of these stories about was the the pussy patrol or whatever it was that he was yeah, part of. That's right. Well, who's well, the guy? He only that, go out with models. He'd yeah. only go out with models. But the, I guess these guys were really abusive towards women. Uh, you know, doing all sorts of degrading things. Uh, it was him and uh, Toby Maguire and some of their friends. This is in the early early two thousands, right? And they were they called themselves like the Pussy Patrol or Pussy Gang or Pussy something, right? Right, and all they were doing is just a bunch of drugs and just kind of taking advantage of women. And I feel like the kind of person who's drawn to do that kind of thing, that kind of behavior, he embodies that. He kind of reflects that. And I think if he was to play characters that everybody still wants to put him into the Titanic role, right? They still want him to be Jack from Titanic. He's not that. He's, he doesn't reflect that anymore. He doesn't have, I mean, he still has that kind of power, but he doesn't have that kind of appeal, I don't right. think. Brad Pitt looks more like a movie star. That's what I'm trying to say. Between the two of them, Brad Pitt looks more like a movie star. Certainly that kind of movie star, I would agree. And, he looks more... You know, I mean, having his like own a TV cowboy? show, doing the spaghetti westerns, right. going to Italy. That's Brad Pitt would be more apt to be, pull that off than Leonardo. I, I really feel like Tarantino has gotten to a stage in his career where he is, first of all, mimicking himself. He's doing a parody of his own type of films. That's what happens to people who do achieve greatness. They become a parody of themselves. Right. And second, I feel like he is really desperately trying to look cool. He wants to... I mean, even some of the photos that I've seen online of him walking the red carpet, it's him trying to pose in a cool way. And instead of just what being... looks cool? Instead of just relaxing yeah. and just like, this yeah. is who I am. Yeah. I, yeah. I cannot help, and look, I, I love Tarantino for so long, but he slowly kind of alienated me with each film. He's progressively kind of pushed me away from this idolization that I had um, earlier on. And I think I, I, I find myself being more and more attracted to Soderbergh, and I've mentioned that many times in this podcast, but I think Soderbergh is great because he's constantly reinventing himself. He's constantly doing films that scare him. He does things that are not um, like just totally generic Soderbergh movie. I can't name a generic Soderbergh movie because they're all there so one. vastly right, different. Right. Some of them are brilliant. Some of them are shit. Yep. And to me, that's what's interesting is yep. that he doesn't, not everything is good. And he firmly believes in cutting things down. And he's constantly talking about how some of his films are just way too long. And right. he's going, right. uh, these are things that I like versus things that belong in the film. And I think Tarantino really needs to take a page out of Soderbergh's lesson, which is, I know you like it, Tarantino, but it doesn't serve your, your story. And that's my big question to you is, what's the story of this movie? Yeah, yeah. This is a short film if you right. took out all the unnecessary stuff. It's yeah. probably a 20, 30-minute film. Yep, yep, yep. Another area, too, where it really lagged in the first half of the film was the Western sequence that yeah. went on for so long. Two parts to that. Number one, where he's he, Leonardo, is talking to the little girl. And that was an interesting scene, remember? Yeah. And, but it went on. 
it went on and we get it already right. and there was one moment was a long take and it went back and forth between the two characters and it was it was well executed i guess but we didn't need 70 percent of that long scene and then going inside the saloon right. where he was acting and i was waiting for to pull out and hear a director say cut we because we knew he was doing a scene for a movie. robert it went on for minutes and minutes and minutes yeah. before they finally broke that wall and we heard the director yell cut realizing that we were in a scene for a movie but it was just long yeah i totally agree and i some actors really did a great job timothy Oplant um was the the actor that was acting against him in that scene like his uh the, the other bad guy that right, comes to town right, right and he did he was great i felt like because he did a really good job of being um a character who then when the camera start rolling, he becomes the bad guy. Right. And I, I really, I saw that difference between those two characters really well. I thought he was great. Al Pacino was a, a caricature of himself. And I, I have a feeling that probably what happened was Tarantino gets Pacino in his movie. And you know, how the fuck do you direct Al Pacino? And that's all I could think of is you're going to sit down with Al Pacino and say, uh, Mr. Pacino, here's how actually how I want you to do it. I want you to do a little different like this. What the fuck? You're going to tell one of the greatest living actors of, of our time how to do his craft? And it's like, man, that's really, that's hard to do. That's a really hard thing to do at this point in right. his career. And even his performance, again, like you're starting to say, it was somewhat cartoonish. Yes. It was cartoonish. I felt like it was it. a stereotype. Yeah. Swart, what's his name? the age of Swartz. Swartz. Oh, Swartz. Swartz. Yeah. Yeah. But there was, and there was just nothing to it. Yeah, absolutely. And so what? It was shot in Musso and Franks, and I recognize the interior of Musso and Franks. Right. And I know about the murals on the wall, and there, there were the murals. Okay, clever hook. It's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. That's all it is. Where was the story with beginning, middle, and end? Well, I mean, that's uh, well, the was... real issue here. There's not much of a story. What, what purpose did Sharon Tate have? None. Well, none. She didn't do anything. All she did was go watch a movie. Pretty. Even that sequence... Even that, and again, I'm in love with the Bruin Theater, and seeing that meant something to me. It went on too long. The whole box office exchange. And then in the theater, and she watched The Wrecking Crew, a Dean Martin movie, which Sharon Tate was in. So So let's set this up a little better. Yes, please. Go for it. She she happens along the Bruin Theater. She notices that the movie, The Wrecking Crew, is playing at the theater, which she's in. The movie's just been released, and she has this long, prolonged conversation with the box office uh, ticket taker, and tells her, I was in this movie, and then they call over an usher, and can we take a picture? So long. And like, then she goes in, and she wants to watch the movie, so she sits down and with watches her feet, it. Don't forget her feet. Right, her up. feet in the foreground, and just very prominent in, in a Tarantino style of, let me show you feet. Yeah. Yeah. Are you hearing that right now? No. Good. Is it in your ears? Not right into my ear. I just got a phone call. But it went directly into my hearing aid. Moving on along. Sorry about that. Yeah, his obsession with feet. And that scene went on for a very long time. Something interesting that I respect, though, is that when we saw scenes of the movie Wrecking Crew, it really was Sharon Tate. I'm glad that they didn't take Margot Robbie and superimpose her in that movie. But there's something trippy that I liked that here we had an actress playing the part of Sharon Tate who goes to see herself in a Sharon Tate movie, but it's really Margot Robbie watching Sharon. You know what I'm saying? Can I tell you my theory? Theory. I have a little theory about this. Yes. My theory is that Tarantino, now I do know part of this to be true, but the, 
the end result of why there's so much Sharon Tate, why there's so much um, Margot Robbie in this movie where she's not really doing anything is this. She had very little dialogue. Right. I think what happened, I know what happened with Sharon Tate's family. They've been very protective over her depiction in films because it's exploitative. And I think they're absolutely right. I've, I've talked on this podcast before about how Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails lived in the uh, in that house where the uh, where the Manson murders happened and recorded his whole, uh, whole album there. And then he ran into Sharon Tate's sister and she said to him, why the fuck are you doing that? Don't you realize it's just exploiting my sister's life and you're just amplifying this um, the, the reputation and the glorification of this really awful person. And Reznor stepped back and was like, oh shit, you're right. Why the fuck do I, why am I doing that? This is an awful thing. And I think Tarantino is falling victim to that same kind of idea here, which is he's, almost glorifying the act of Charles Manson's murders. Now, the last 10 minutes are basically, now let's do to them what, we, what we've what we really wanted to do to them. Let's destroy these people. In much the same way that he does in Glorious Bastards, he destroys Hitler, right? They just they shoot him to death ad nauseum. And I think what happened was that he had talked to Sharon Tate's family, and they were very clear about the depiction of how Sharon Tate would, would come across in the film. And he told them, now I do know that this happened because I looked it up afterward. And he told them, uh, he made, made them sign a non-disclosure agreement that said, here's how we're going to end the film. Told them here's what was going to happen. And I think they said, okay, well, we kind of trust what he's doing here. And they kind of gave it their blessing, but with reservation. And I'll bet he gave, he now kind of felt on the hook to really show Sharon Tate in a, non-controversial way right and a very like here's who she really was she was very light and bubbly and there's no bad side to her right whatsoever. right 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 too ethereal actually right she was so ethereal throughout the whole film robert i just flashed on something you said many many months ago in a podcast too that you have little tolerance for those who will uh capitalize and exploit when something evil happens yeah you, you, and this yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this you're talking that's why about I have some that reservations with Dahmer. About this movie. I think with Dahmer we were talking about right. that, right? See, I do listen to you. So uh, I could see It was I, in Dahmer and it was in the Ted Bundy movie that we reviewed. That's right. That's right. So yeah. And know, I do have some some I mean even misgivings about Yeah, and I realize it's even hypocritical hypocritical for us to be talking about this. On this podcast, we've reviewed a film about Jeffrey Dahmer, a review about uh, about uh, Ted Bundy, and a film now about Charles Manson. Right, right. Maybe it's tangentially about Charles Manson, but he plays a prominent um, role within the film, whether he's present or not. It's right. his the acts of that. And that feels rotten in a way. Agreed. Now, I want to bring in something else. We, you and I are on this, definitely on the same page here, and here's an area where I think we're going to disagree. Okay. I think it was an irresponsible film because of the different alternate universe. We've mm. talked about this before. In Glorious Bastards, we saw what happened in the movie theater where they uh, they kill Hitler with right. machine guns. It didn't go down that way. This also we talked about this with even with the movie JFK. More people saw the movie JFK than are going to read the Warren report. Right. It's altering people's perception of reality. And this is, I think, more of an issue for me than for you. That here we have this. It's his universe. It's an alternate, but it's irresponsible. A good for Eric because told people me, don't er, know that people don't. And Eric told me yesterday that he had a couple students in class. There somehow Nazi Germany and Hitler came up, and a student said, a student actually said, "Well, they killed him with the machine guns in a movie theater, didn't they?" 
he this kid really thought that that's how hitler it's molding perception which is affecting reality how would the tate family feel that knowing well it didn't go down this way our, our, she was she was slaughtered. This alternate universe thing is playing with people's perceptions and realities, and I, I think it's irresponsible. You began this by saying you thought that we would disagree. I don't think that I disagree. Really? Um, well, I definitely agree with films like JFK because there's so right. much information out that that's presented that feels factual. Uh, the way that's presented is definitely. I mean, for example, I think we talked about it before. They say that there's in the movie that Oswald got off three shots in like 6.3 seconds when in reality it was like eight or nine seconds. It totally changes things. Um, they said in the movie in JFK that he wasn't a very good shot when actually he was a very good marksman. So that's stuff that really does uh, change the perception of what happened. And I get what you're what you mean with Inglorious Bastards. And even here, I almost wish there was a device that could kind of signify mm -hmm. where we are, where we are breaking from reality. And but the problem is that even the character uh, feels like a real character. It feels like a biography about this guy, um, and not not factual if it, it, i'm sorry it does feel factual not not fiction right, that's what i'm right, trying to say right 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 i'm thinking about a movie called funny games i don't know if you ever saw funny games but it's about a family who uh, one day these two kind of teenage boys show up and they basically hold the whole family hostage and th the most of the movie happens uh, probably two th maybe three-fourths of the movie happens and then at a certain point the family gets a shotgun and they shoot one of the boys to kill him and the other one makes a dive for a remote control in the living room and hits the rewind button and the whole movie rewinds back and this time he hits play and the one of the boys is able to stop the dad from grabbing the shotgun and killing them this is like a horror suspense film and it's it comes out of nowhere that you're able to rewind the, the movie that's wait you're, the story has to be linear and it's really the filmmaker kind of fucking with you going why I can do whatever I want with my film and I can right. make it non-linear. Right. That device would have been something like that would have been really interesting to have here where uh, there's a decision that's made in the car by the Manson groupies and then they decide, hey, let's go for uh, for for the, this Western star instead of Sharon Tate. And if we knew at that point, this is where the facts deviate from are you suggesting that it would be a title card on the screen that says, what if? Yeah, something like that. What I, if? I think that would be less irresponsible. It would be less irresponsible. It would pull you out of the movie. Kind of. I mean, yes, it would. But don't you think there, there's so many things that pull you out of the movie. This is totally Brechtian at certain points. You've got a narrator. I, I, the last, like what, 30, 40 minutes have a narrator that was not in the movie from before. From? There's a title from? card that's like, you know, like now, uh, like many years later, right, right, or something right, like right. that. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. and, and yeah. you're all of a sudden, it's just it's it's yeah. pulling you out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a what if title card, something like that. There's self-referential so things like looking at feet, and if you know anything about Tarantino, yeah. you know, oh, this is Tarantino being Tarantino. It pulls right. you out. It does right. not keep you in the movie. It was a very masturbatory. Movie. Yes, there's a lot of jerking off. Yeah, Tarantino just 
stroking himself. He, I this think, is what I can do. Yeah, right, right. it feels like he doesn't Agreed. have people who are telling him no. Yeah, it feels like everyone is going whatever you want, Tarantino. Yeah. Whatever you want, he you're a living legend. He needs Sally. He needs that editor who died too. He soon. needs people he needs who will tell him no, whether him that's Sally or somebody else who's going to say no. This is not a good idea. He needs people to bounce ideas off of. Right. Right. So we agree about the irresponsible. Of, of, of I think I mostly universe. agree people with that. People are so that. excited. Say, well, it's a Tarantino's universe. The trade-off is that, I mean, using that concept of, of being irresponsible, then you're never able to have kind of um, fiction, like deviational fictions. You know, like, l- let's take somebody that existed in real life and then do a what if. You can't do that because it could be misconstrued as being irresponsible. And I don't like that. I think that there's an interesting storytelling device that you could use there. Yeah. But yeah. I, the problem that I have is, why did he need Manson at all? didn't it was i felt like it was scotch taped yeah it was stapled in it was stapled in obviously the whole tone of the movie changed it was a third act i suppose it was the third act right and it was like it was scotch taped in and it wasn't organic to the whole flow of the movie that's for damn sure it could have just been killers he didn't yeah. need manson yeah. at all and yeah. i think he opened up a huge can of worms by making it charles manson well really could have just been killers that were coming out absolutely him. but you know arguing the other side just for a second obviously that the manson incident certainly put a button at the end of that era of late 60s flower children free love and then when this horrendous grizzly that was like the mm, the punctuation mark to the end i think you could have gotten a lot of that without ever mentioning manson you know i I don't think you needed all of that it could have just been a smaller group of four or five people who were gonna murder uh, the hollywood starlet next door and instead went for our guy yeah. and it didn't need to be Sharon Tate it could have just been yeah. the Hollywood starlet right you know you don't you don't need those names and I think that would have been a lot more responsible and I think it would have I, I don't know why he's doing that we've talked in this podcast before about how so many films nowadays are derivative of something else they're either sequels or they're spinoffs and this is kind of like historically derivative it's 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 playing off right. of the right. The popularity of Charles Manson, in much the same way that Inglorious Bastards was playing off the the popularity of Hitler, and to me, that's the beauty of movies or his earlier films like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, even Kill Bill, where it there's you're not playing off the the popularity of anything; you're just creating right. your own little world. It's been publicized again and again that he's going to make ten films. He'll stop at ten. Mm-hmm. This is his ninth film. Yeah, I think yeah, this is what everybody's saying. Maybe he can stop at nine. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Quentin. Do you think he's going to stop at 10? No. Nobody takes no, him seriously. No, no, with this. no. Yeah, that's something else going on. Hey, something. Now, this just resonated. Uh, wait, more. I'm sorry. Yeah. I got to go back. Go, I, go, I still go, got something go. on that. Don't forget what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah. The man has said for years that he adores cinema. He loves film, right? He uh, cut his teeth on the in the video store in the late 80s, early 90s. He lives, breathes, and eats movies, and he's only going to do 10 what an arbitrary fucking number. And if you're going to do 10, why are you announcing it? Right. I mean, don't just don't make any more movies. Just just fade oh, off into the Robert distance. Robert is like Cher's farewell I tour. know. And, now, and that became a joke. It's a joke. That became an on, years later, yet another farewell tour. Right. Uh, Elton John is doing one now. Although he may... He may but, but my, my but point it doesn't here matter. Is the point is... All you're going to do is set yourself up for people making fun of you. Right. Right, and all all you and should Cher do is say, a joke. "I'm going to take joke. a little bit of a break." Right, and it may be it may be a while, it may not be a while, but I'm, I'll probably come back. But we'll see. 
Right. That's all you need to do. And right. now you got people begging for you to come back and yeah. go, yeah. if the story's right, I'll be back. Yeah. But yeah. if it's not, then I won't. And then if you want to, why 10? Just because we have 10 fingers? Right. What the fuck? Right. What does that mean? It's so arbitrary. It is. I know. Yeah. Maybe his 10th one will be that uh, Star Trek movie he's been talking about. I mean, Soderbergh did the same. Star Wars. Which was it? Star Trek. Star Trek. Yeah. By the way, I'm interrupting you. Uh, Soderbergh did the same thing and then came out of retirement, right? Uh, is that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, William Shatner said in an interview, he's on board. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> Isn't that weird? I'm yeah. rolling my he's eyes on, already. Something that resonated with me, we're definitely on the same page with all elements of this movie, but I got to tell you two things as far as number one, at, we, we saw Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion party, of course, with a grotto and all that stuff. You know, I've been there. I've been there. Yes, you were. I've been Wait, there a couple times. Do tell. What got you there? I is worked that, on a... Is that when you streaked? No. That was at Man's Chinese right. Theater. No, I, uh, I was working on a music video for Nelly and Justin Timberlake. And they shot at that at the Playboy Mansion. And it was for like a couple days. Who's Nelly Timberlake? Nelly. N- who's he, that? The, he's a rapper. Oh. And then and Nelly oh, oh. and Justin oh, Timberlake. Oh, I thought it was Nelly and Justin. I thought there was like a couple. No, no, no. No, Nelly. Mother. I thought it was Justin's mama. Go ahead. <laughs> it's Justin's what? sister, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Nelly and Justin Timberlake. Yeah. No, they did a music video there, and I, I worked on that. And then there was something else that I did there. I can't even remember what it was, but I've been there like two or three wow. times. So did it look realistic mm- when you saw those scenes? That place is a trash heap. Like, it's not what you think of. It... it there's an area next to the grotto and it's like the changing room and like the carpet's all mildewy and soggy and it's like, it's gross. It's, I'm sure in the 1970s it would have been really cool, but it's just kind of fallen to shit and it's, it's not nice. It's like, a, it's, it's probably nice to film when you're far enough away, but when you get up close to it, you're like, this is gross. Like this needs to be cleaned. Do you know what I mean? I do, but I've got to ask the question that all of our listeners are begging me to ask. Did you have sex in the grotto? I I masturbated all over the place. No, I did not have sex in the grotto. The coolest <laughs> part of that is there's a zoo right next to it, and there's all these like uh, monkeys and like there's just like the huge crazy animals right next to the grotto. That's the really cool part. And they put all this fresh produce out, and you can feed all the animals. They had better grapes than I've ever had in my life, and they're like, here, throw it to this monkey. And I'm like, okay. But it's wow. crazy peacocks all over the the property. It's really beautiful that stuff. What's but, it like now? Well, is now it it's level. Is it? No, they sold it to. Well, then they make that deal with like he sold it to a guy that basically could move in as long as he could still live there. That's right. right. That's right. That's right. So I get yeah. You know. Here's what I want to say um, regarding the Playboy Mansion. I the actor who played the part of Steve McQueen. Right. He was really dead on, wasn't yeah. he? He looked like Steve McQueen. Uh, again, this was at Hugh Hefner's Playboy party. And he even had that mole right under, yeah. you know, he had that. Speaking of, this too resonated with me. And that is where we should say that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character was uh, r- was in a downer moment and said that he came really close. He was on the short list to being in The Great Escape. I knew you I was knew thinking of you. That just, it, it just, and they, it was like a fantasy beat in the right. film what would happen if that what would he say he almost got it it was down to like george papard and george chakaris or something like that yeah, is, yeah the three georges the three georges and right. rick 
And he didn't get the part, but he just like tripped out wondering what it would be like. And it was a beautiful scene where the commandant and Steve McQueen are squaring off in the first act of the movie where Steve McQueen rolls the ball to the barbed wire just to see if he can be seen or not. And then the commandant comes on and they square off together. And yes, yeah, so you're a fly boy, sir fly boy. Kula, that famous exchange. And it was done seamlessly. That was done seamlessly. Yeah. That was how did, that was incredible. That, I love that. That alone, that was it for me. That should be my money shot. Why is that my money shot? I don't know. Why I'm changing isn't it? my money shots right now. Anyway, I had a certain reaction to that, obviously, because my love for the film. Acknowledging the great. It was escape. well done, and there were a bunch of there were a bunch of moments in the movie yes. that I liked. Yes, agreed. even the driving sequences alone were were interesting. Sure, they were. But it's the combination of right. all of these that was right. it dragged on. It's I was ready. For, I felt like this is the kind of movie that you would go to. You would watch and fall asleep halfway through, and then wake up about you know ten minutes before the end and go, "Oh man, I must have missed a lot." And I was getting you fidgety. actually didn't. I was getting fidgety. Yeah, in the first hour and a half, the first ninety minutes, I was fidgety. I was. I kept waiting for something to pop and something. Yeah, to, nothing like, popped. And again, there's no real. There was no dialogue. tension. You know, they're talking about the long scene that he had with the child actor, the eight year old yeah, girl, yeah. and I think that he was trying to recreate kind of the same. Uh, Christoph Waltz from *Inglorious Bastards*. This this beautiful tension between these two actors in a long dialogue exchange, there and there was no, no tension. tension. There was no tension. It was like there were no stakes in that scene. There. there was yeah. no tension. It was just reminding him of that he's not taking acting quite so seriously. That right. was it. That was what the purpose of the scene, and it could have been so much shorter. Whole movie could have been so much shorter. Right. All right. Money shots. Money shots. For me, my money shot is definitely it's the the last 10, 15 minutes of this movie really came to life with the gruesome, gory beating up of the uh, Manson family. Um, when Leonardo DiCaprio hops out of the pool, runs to the little shed. First of all, his run to the shed was so wussy and pansy like, and it was not graceful at all. And he straps on the the flamethrower and now, did you didn't know that was going to pay off did you no i did okay. not did you know last no but i remember last week about the gun in the art of self-defense you knew the gun was going to yes. pay off at yes. the end i did you know knew. i know you off. knew that i know you knew but, that. but I, here you didn't see the, the flamethrower flame here was it was beautifully paid off and and how they did it was they set it up by showing the flamethrower the, the first time in a movie throwback at the beginning of the movie Later on, Brad Pitt has to go fix an antenna, so he has to go into the shed to get some tools, and we see the flamethrower, and really what it feels like is that's the payoff of he's still that's holding right. on to hey, this 1950s, so uh, you know, kind of, um, what are, like the, the 1950s glory. Yeah. You're yep, right. Glory, okay, yeah. And, yeah. and so it's kind of, oh, it's just rusting away in the shed, but little do we know, it's actually setting up the big surprise payoff yeah. where he roasts this girl who wanders into the pool and is wildly shooting up into the sky. Yeah. So to me, that's going to be the, the big money yeah, shot yeah. is, uh, is that, um, there's nothing else that was really memorable other than these long driving sequences. And, and that was just because there were so many of them. They'll be memorable, memorable in a bad way. Right. Right. What do you think? I had a few, first of all, this is more Ira esque. Um, the female, the girl hitchhiker, on the bus bench, the first time Brad Pitt pulls up and he makes it clear he's not going to pick her up, and she does pouty. Yeah. Remember, she does pout, and she like oh, and she pretends to cry, yeah. cry. And it was it was for me, it was a very sexy meet. Okay, I, this I knew is, you'd like. Yeah, that you one. knew I would like that scene. Number two, 
Uh, I like the um, where she's offering to give him a blowjob in the car. That was too overt. That was too obvious. It was too. Yeah. By the way, he would have said yes. I think. <laughs> what man would say no to? Oh, she had hair under her arms. Boy, that was use your accuracy. Yeah. Yeah, because they were flower children. Everybody. That was a little excessive too. It where was. She's like, it, yeah, it was showing too him. hard to show. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I agree. We get it. I agree. Right. 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 There was a quick, that wasn't so quick, it was a beautiful aerial shot of the uh, the Van Nuys Drive-In Theater where the camp, we saw the marquee and we saw the Van Nuys and it went right over. It's a beautiful shot. And then we, I think we came in and we saw where uh, Brad Pitt was living in the trailer. Is that right? I think right, was behind in, the drive-in. It was a lovely shot. I just like that of that drive-in theater. I remember yeah, the drive-in nice. theater and it was pretty to look at. I did like, I know you didn't think the whole Manson thing was necessary, but I like how we saw the Spawn Ranch and there right. was tension. Finally, we had tension. Finally, we had yes. tension. We had tension, and especially when when one of the uh, hippies, you know, put a wedge inside, you know, screwdriver in his tire of his car. But let me so, pause and interrupt yeah. you. I I know there's tension, but it was false tension because you know Brad Pitt's not going to die. <laughs> it's like okay, yeah. you built this tension, yeah. but if I actually believe yeah. that he might die, yeah. Yeah. then I would buy the tension. Yeah, yeah. good point. But good it, point. You won't do that. Yeah, he doesn't have enough balls to do that. Go ahead. I like the way it was. It was. Raising the stakes, they're probably, even introducing the ranch and saw the girls in the Daisy Dukes and everything staring at them. It was a little bit orchestrated and it was a little bit self. It was almost over the top, but I don't care. It worked for me that for the first time I was feeling anxious. It's about time. Yeah, I was feeling tension. But it was unmotivated too. Like he, all he did was he uh, just he wanted just to talk to the. He wanted to talk to the guy he used to work with. He wanted many to talk years to, ago. To, yeah, Poor Mr. Bruce Spahn. Stern. Yeah, and it's like, how dare you ask to see this guy that you haven't seen in a long time? That's unreasonable, and if everybody in the whole place is going to be that unreasonable, I understand they're brainwashed, but they're brainwashed to think that Charles Manson is the new Jesus reincarnate. That doesn't mean that they're brainwashed into not having common courtesy. If somebody shows up that you bring to the ranch and goes, hey, I actually know this guy. Can I go say hi? And everyone's like, no, don't fucking talk. I don't. know. Because well, it's his nap it's, time? Yeah, what yeah, you, it's it's yeah. silly. That's not a, a yeah. good enough motivation. Yeah, I don't believe organic. it. It's not organic. Even it's if not. these people are, are out of their minds you know, with, with the brainwashing, they're not that kind of brainwashed. Agreed. One, one more. And I like the, it was a rather long scene with Brad Pitt and the actor who played the part of Bruce Lee. The fight, the yeah. fight, and it was fun. That was that was Tarantino, yeah. You know, and the camera was swiveling back and forth. You know, first to the left, then to the right, and it was thrown against the car, and everything. it went on for quite a while. And I enjoyed that sequence. I did. I thought that was well put together. That's true. Yeah, I, I did like that sequence. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I guess here's the thing: you've seen Brad Pitt effectively beat up Bruce Lee. So you know that this crowd of females who are basically subservient to the men in the, on Spawn Ranch, all of them coming at him, even if they all ganged up on him, I don't believe that's, that's going to be greater than Bruce Lee. You're right. And, uh, I mean, just physically, he's more dominant than they are. These aren't fighters. They're just hot girls walking around in Daisy Dukes. So... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think they pose much of a threat. Right. They didn't really show any weapons other than a knife that they stuck into his car tire. Right. So yeah. I would like to have been on that with those pretty girls, those thin-legged girls in Daisy Dukes. I wanted to be Bruce Stern's character, Spawn. I wanted oh, to sure. be that's in your, that That's bed. your future. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then what was he? He was blind, but he's watching TV. All right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. So what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. It was. 
There, there were a lot of things. If we start peeling back this onion, we're going to go. Look what we're doing what, now. What, it's falling what are you apart. talking about? Yeah. I'm anti- telling you, he doesn't have anybody telling him no. Yeah, that's what he needs. Right. Is anti-wave? Anti-wave. Yes. Oh, have I been? Is this it is an anti-wave a lot? Film. Yeah, I think so. Do tell. How? Where's the structure? Where's the change? <laughs> what character change? Yeah, but those are flaws in the movie. That's yes. very interesting. But that's still an argument why it's anti-wave. Yet they're flaws. Well, These are negative points you're bringing up, I, justifying it being anti-wave. I mean, that's funny. Did one character arc? Did any character arc in this movie? Did no. any character change? Well, no. But we'll get to that. I, you're, you're feeling nobody grew. Yeah. I, I mean, did anybody? I'm just asking that question. I'm trying. I'm going through a list of all the characters in my right, mind. Right. No one changed their opinion really about anything. Right. Right. Um, I guess the closest that we get is we get some closure with Rick Dalton that's of right. now he seems to be accepted by right. the Hollywood right. elite, which and is kind of what he wanted. And I put that down for why it's not anti-wave. Right. Why it's not anti-wave because it did have a happy ending. Yeah. Both of our leads got what they wanted. Bad people were killed. Now, really listen to me on this, okay? Both of them, bad people were dead. And Rick Dalton got acknowledged by the people next door, important people uh, who, you know, he directed Rosemary's Baby. So he was being appreciated as an artist, as an actor. So there's a little bit of a swell at the end, which was kind of Hollywood-esque. I guess. I mean, but look what work we're doing for Quentin Tarantino. Right. I mean, this is the guy who wins the screenplay every year, original screenplay. And we're really having to do a lot of this work to make it come together right i right. guess there's a happy ending i guess i think it's there's yeah. conclusion and there's resolution i don't know if it's a happy ending it's still pretty open-ended we're putting our own um future into into this story it, all he did was just he was invited next door yeah but the way it was shot i understand he, he, but he, he felt good he felt good that sharon but we don't really see any payoff for we, any of we that we just see that's the last shot isn't it yeah well come on down you want to come into our play that he's being acknowledged as an actor by some important people that's right all. that's all and that's but is that really all he wanted i don't think he wanted the acknowledgement he wanted the stardom that comes from that but he was he was being acknowledged as an actor i mean he's he hated going to italy to do those spaghetti westerns but he was still doing them. But somehow he was being acknowledged for the TV show, I think. That's how they right. were excited. And they, they brought him in. It was a, an upswell. It was a, an emotional. It was, it was closure I, and it was a little bit of a happy. It I was agree. a happy ending. It was. But I think a lot of the happiness we're projecting. I don't think it was there. I think right. we're just kind of. Right. Right. We're manipulating and the, the story into the what we people, want. The bad people died at the end. So there's right. your Hollywood ending too. But other than that, that's it. Can I point something out on please, this? Please. Please. I, I'm almost positive. I need to go back and watch, but I, I'm almost positive when they are wheeling um, Brad Pitt's character out of the house, it's him on a stretcher yes. and there's two paramedics and Leonardo DiCaprio's character is following, following them and they go out of the house and they leave the front door open. DiCaprio stays outside the entire time and I always notice it in movies because I'm thinking, why didn't you close the door? But they left the front door wide open and he even says, like, my wife is inside. She's got all these. She's taking a bunch of sleeping pills. You're going to need to come back for her. Ha, ha, ha. We load him onto the ambulance. They take off. And then he goes up to Sharon Tate's house. He's just had home intruders. <laughs> and not only does he leave his wife alone, like, unconscious, he leaves the front door wide fucking open. Not to mention the back door. All the glass has been shattered. <laughs> You'd think be a little bit more aware so after even what if, had just happened. Even if I'm wrong that... 
the front door is open. The back door is all the glass has been shattered out. So he's totally leaving his wife. He he doesn't care about her. This is a horrible person. All he cares about is his fame. I didn't think of that. I didn't even think of that. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Oh, but she has a dog to protect her, so yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, another reason too, I suppose, why it's also anti-wave. It's revisionist history. The fact that yeah. there's an alternate universe right. that too would be another argument for being anti-wave. So, what number would you? You're, you're going to go like you're going to go like eight point eight. I would go about eight yeah. or nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're on the same page. Boy, have we been on the same page? I do want to point out. I think we're going to see a rise of acid dips acid dip cigarettes people are going to start smoking acid dip cigarettes what do you want to bet agreed we're going to start seeing more and more of that being a thing now yeah i agree and if it's not cigarettes it's going to be like acid dipped vape it's going to be right. acid in right. vape people right. are going to smoke that it's going to be very acid is going to make a big comeback and this movie is going to play were a you part laughing of it. at those moments where he was uh out of it and i don't know no i didn't i have seen that so many that. times i don't laugh at that stuff no yeah. Like they're yeah. high and they can't yeah. believe what's going on around them. Away we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where I where I started clapping and applauding and laughing was the fire, uh, the flamethrower. That yeah. uh, someone said fire extinguisher, yeah. flamethrower. Flame that got yeah. me. All right. Okay. So I guess we did it. We did it. All right. Who you died? One who died. Yeah. Gotta tell you, unfortunately, must the following people they done turned to death. Now, is this a real, true death list of the week, or is this just like a deviation off of what really happened into your own little oh, narrative? Oh, it's the Ira world? Universe. Well, if Quentin can do it, so can Ira, right? <laughs> Jeremy Kemp, eighty-four-year-old British actor. He did quite a bit of TV, Winds Ira? of War, but he's also but he was also in the Blue Max. I like that movie. We lost uh, Giorgio. Our Lodor, oh, whatever, he's dead anyway. Our Lodoria, 90 year old Italian <laughs> film director. Anyway. But he did movies that were released in the United States in English, including um, there was something called The Shortest Day. It was a parody of The Longest Day. And there's a movie called Once Upon a Crime. A lot of people were in that film, and it's, a, it's an over the top silly comedy. He's dead. Russ Taylor, 75 year old American voice. You actually, Robert, sent me a text. Be sure that I include Rusty Taylor. Rusty, Rusty Taylor. I never heard of her. I didn't know, but evidently it meant something to you. Uh, she was the voice of Disney's Minnie Mouse character from 1986 up until now, until yeah. her until her death. So she died, but you knew who she was, huh? Yeah, she's the voice of Minnie Mouse. Yeah, yeah, dead. Uh, mostly TV, mostly TV, but yeah, I still wanted to include her. Kirk Douglas died, buddy. And you know- Really? Yeah, he's dead. And I really- I'm going to miss that dimple right in his, in his cheek. <laughs> taco, that, taco chin? That, yeah, that dimple. Man, that dimple. Forget about everything, golden age of Hollywood, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That dimple. Mm-mm-mm. Let's move on. But and maybe he, it's in his skull and you can still, oh, as yeah, he it's still decomposes, there. So you'll get a better like, view of it. Finger on it. Yeah. The Silver Spotlight Award goes to, Robert, this one kind of hurts, mm. Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer. 75-year-old Dutch actor. We're talking Nighthawks. The Hitcher. Uh, Blade you and Runner. I both love The Hitcher. You know, I remember that moment like a year and a half ago when I met, and you looked at me like I, I you, you were pleased that I, in a, heard of it, seen it, and loved it so much. He was incredible in that film. When he moved to America, he was in movies like Nighthawks and, and Blade Runner. Now, he was an android that knew he was an android, and he had that famous monologue um, about what it is, you know, to feel stuff and so on. Uh, Blade Runner got him other films. Osterman Weekend, he was in Lady Hawk, and like we said, The Hitcher in 1986. He, you know, when 
a good buddy of mine said that when he's on the screen, your eyes are riveted to him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to not. It's really true. We got a baby cry. Hey. She's she's sad about Rucker Hauer. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my dead corner. I hey man, you know something else I want to say before we. I think we're gonna play a game today. But before we do game, I also want to mention another little uh, thing to throw in to my theory about why I'm so certain that uh, he put so much stuff in there about Sharon Tate. You know, this was originally, the movie was originally going to be released on the 50th anniversary of the Manson murders. And the Tate family was like, you're exploiting it. And he goes, you're right, we are. And so that's why they changed the release date. Wow. So he changed a lot of the film because of the kind of respect for the actual history versus the history that he made up, I guess. He made up? Yeah. Yeah. Will you be quiet over hey, there? Hey, kid, shut up. We're talking here. We're talking here. Did you tell my daughter to shut up? Yeah. Only okay. I tell her to shut oh. up. I'm in trouble. Hey, man, let's play Real or Unreal. Oh, I like this game. Okay, uh, first movie. So, real quick, just how to play. How do you play, Ira? Ah, oh, I know. We're going to hear a perhaps a title and a synopsis. Yep. And we have to decide and discuss and see if the movie is real or unreal. That's it. First movie is titled, I'm Dying. A young girl is told that she'll die if she smokes a cigarette and promptly gets her period after she tries one. Believing she's dying, she and her best friend create a bucket list and start working on it. I'm we dying. We see the theme, of course, to how it ties in with our yeah. movie. But yeah. um, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at producer Joy. No, I'm trying no, to read no her facial body readings. Language. Come on now. Look I'm at, trying to read her body language. Nah, you got to look at the this material is, in front of nutty. you. This is nutty. This one is just nutty. Don't you think it's made up? Don't you think it's unreal? You're going to say real. I'm looking at your face right now. I'm going to go out. I'm going to say unreal. I'm going to say unreal as well, but that's a good idea for a film. This, that, I think it would be a short film. This would be a good like 20-minute movie, 15-minute movie. That's a good idea. Let's see if your wife made it up or All not. All right. It is unreal. She made it up. Wow. She has quite an imagination, this woman. Do you, do you just come up with, uh, How do you with do these on this your own? Joy? Yeah. You just okay. Uh, next one, Padman, a newly married man revolutionizes the menstrual pad industry because there's period films. Is that why? Yeah, <laughs> is there period films? Uh, yeah, I, I get it. I just a newly married man revolutionizes the menstrual pad industry. What do you think, Padman? What's the title again, Pat? Padman. Sort of ad man, Padman. This one actually could be. This, this this could be real. I'm gonna go this, real. On are this. we gonna agree I think again? This is real. I, this is nutty enough it's to be too real. empty of a description as yes, well. Yes, real. Right. Let's see. It is real. We got a score wow. two to nothing. All right. Wait, we're let's see, let's see if we can wife. both do a perfect score. Yeah, here. let's do it. Come on. All right. Yeah. I think it's the last one. End of a period. Two best friends dismiss the mandatory puberty class as unimportant, unimportant only to have their friendship change as they contend with periods, boners. And acne. End of a period. Unreal. I'm going to go real. Are you? We're just going to separate them. Uh oh. The men from the babies. All right. I'm going to go real. You're going to go unreal. It is unreal. Yeah. Looks like I am a little baby bitch. Congratulations, Ira. I did hey. Three out of three. This back to back wins why? for you. You know what I did? I, I did really well a couple weeks ago, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. Uh, it had the word boner in the synopsis, and uh, I can't see the word boner in an actual call. description of a film. Deceptive. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, yeah. producer Joey. Nice. Look at that shame Look. on her face, Look. knowing she shouldn't have said boners. 
Shouldn't have said boner. What do you have to say about that? Darn. All right. She's slapping her knee. On that note, let's do some top five. Top five and hit it, Vern. It's time to give a listen, you little creeps, to our top five. Okay, the top five this week is top five Hollywood. <laughs> so, well, clearly, okay. clearly we need to communicate a yes, little more we do. clearly. Yes, we do. Uh, yeah, um, what do you mean we? And I actually here. pulled up a few. I have a few Hollywood films just as we were talking. Oh, I is that what you're, you're coming up? That's but um, nice. they're not, I haven't ranked them. I haven't really done. I'll, I'll put them as my scoops. How about that? Oh, okay. I feel better now. Is that better? I feel better. Are you, do you really feel better? No, not really. No, I just thought I'd say that to make you feel better. I'm interested to know what your top five period films would be. You know, just like what? I like that topic. Why didn't you suggest that one? I did. <laughs> All right. So who should go first? I'll go first. Go first. I, and again, as our listeners know, I did Hollywood. Yeah. Um, period piece movies. Number five. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No. All right. First of all, it was hard for me to come up with five films that were Hollywood period piece, and there would have been a lot of overlapping. Right. So I'm actually glad that you took this route. I would have said that. If I realized what you were doing, I would have said, not too narrow. Yeah, it's too narrow. But, you know, for what it was, even though we were both displeased with the movie, left a lot to be desired, it was a Hollywood period piece movie. That's That you saw. (laughs) That I saw. For almost three hours, I saw it. You could watch two films. You could have watched two Soderbergh's. Yeah. yeah, just not that one about athletics and basketball team. Look, I, I'm, that's not my favorite one, but Ooh. that's Ooh. what I like Ooh. about it. I like that about him is he's willing to do stuff like that. And the next film will be good, and the next one with that will be okay. That's what I like. Ups and downs, man. Never know what you're going to get. My number five period film is from 1999, The Talented Mr. Ripley. I always felt like with period films, sometimes these films get in their own way, and a lot of the, the big like operatic, huge costumes and everything else it almost gets in the way and becomes a distraction to the storyline and i think this does a really nice job of showing a a time in an era of europe in the 1950s hmm. 40s i want to say mm-hmm. i guess it would have been 50s post-war and uh kind of the elite rich of that time uh, that time frame and it it enhanced the story it did not detract so I love that film. I love the the periodness of it. Nice. Talented Miss Ripley, 1999. What do you got? What's your, what's your number four? Boy, if we were doing just period movies, I'd put Changeling. I, I thought about the Changeling. We've been talking about it a bit yeah. lately. So and that definitely falls into that. that category as well of um, it's not all about the That's period. Right. That's but, right. But it actually needs to be set in that time period. There's certain things that happen like where they lock her up in the, um, in the mental asylum and she can't get out. That's something that today I don't think you could get away with. Right. But in that time, right. in right. that era, you could. Right. So I think it really enhances the story, but it's right. not, um, what am I trying to say? It's not a distraction. Right, right. Best thing Angelina Jolie did ever. I think so. Yeah. Uh, my Besides number Brad four. Pitt. Hmm? What's that? Best thing Angelina Jolie ever did was Brad Pitt. Go oh. ahead. No. Oh, that, okay. Yeah, not anymore. Uh, Hollywood period piece. Ed Wood, 1984. Ed Wood, yeah. Yeah, I love that film. Tim Burton directed that. Johnny Depp, of course. Martin Landau won the Oscar. Right. He won the Oscar for supporting actor in Ed Wood. And it was um, just a salute to bad... I remember seeing Plan 9 from Outer Space when I was quite young, late at night on a Saturday night on TV, thinking, this is bad. You can see the strings holding up the paper plates as flying (laughs) saucers, but I kind of like it. Yeah, I just remember that. That sounds like you. Yeah, it does sound like me. Uh, That's my number four. Uh, My number four is from 2001... 
from the Coen brothers, The Man Who Wasn't There. Have you ever seen this I movie? I never saw that You film. would like this movie. Who's in that? Who's? Um, Billy Bob Thornton, uh, James Gandolfini, and a very young, nubile, uh, Lolita-esque Scarlett Johansson. You like need her. to see no, this I movie. Really need to see yeah. it. Do you have it? I don't. Can you send me home with it? No, okay. but I'm sure you'll find it okay. by the end of the night. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a really good movie. It's it's shot well. It's acted beautifully. It's Coen Brothers just doing great, great work. Um, but it's a it's an interesting film. And what I love about the Coen Brothers is all of their period stuff doesn't distract from the storyline. Uh, so again, kind of same as I was saying before, it's uh, it's enhanced by being in the time period that it's in. What do you got? My number three, Hollywood movie, The Artist. All, artist, which that would have been on my list. Yeah. That would have been on 2011. <laughs> that came out 2011. Isn't that amazing? Took place, of course, with the uh, the silent era going into talkies, 1927 and 1932. Uh, black and white film. And it was really a good, solid movie, The Artist. Wasn't that the first three. silent film to win Best Picture yes. since like the 1930s? Since, the, since then, yes. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Nice pick. Thanks, buddy. Uh, my number three is another Coen Brothers film, and I think I could have done the whole list in just Coen Brothers films. They're experts at doing um, period films, but I felt like some of that would a would just be cheating, and uh, and I try to keep westerns off here because I felt like westerns are almost a genre unto themselves. But from 2013, Inside Llewellyn Davis, did you ever see this? I know of it. I've never seen it. It's the New York City uh, Greenwich Village uh, Greenwich Village. The the what the hipsty the scene. hippie scene yes. what do you call that the beatnik scene I guess it was like post beatnik I guess it was like the folks folk music mm. scene that's what I'm trying to say and it it really kind of captured what I think it would have been like to live in New York City in that time uh, it's a really cool film um, it's definitely kind of meanders a little bit uh, you go on kind of a, a road trip so to speak but there's some really nice emotional stuff and while I don't know that it necessarily, uh, similar to this film that we just reviewed today, it doesn't kind of wrap up in a conventional sense. You do get closure from it. So anyway, check nice. out Inside the Wild right. Davis. Bleecker Street. That was yeah. the main drag. We know that's a distribution company for film, but right. it's also the main drag that was there during that era. Oh, I thought the main drag was RuPaul. Ah! All right. Okay. What do you got? What's your number two? Who framed Roger Rabbit? I fi- that was going to be that on my list. Be- that was 1988. Uh, it <clears throat> took place in 1947. Robert Zemeckis, again, uh, directed that film. And um, the tunes, all the tunes. It was it was like nothing we'd ever seen before. It was done so well. It was done well and it was so novel and fresh to see a movie like that. I remember just being really impressed when I saw it in the theater. And it always kind of seemed like there should have been a sequel to Roger Rabbit. I'm surprised Rabbit. there wasn't. Right? I'm surprised there wasn't. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like there should have been spinoffs and sequels? Absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, even Disneyland with Toontown, you know, yeah. they did rides. You would think it would be crying out for a sequel or two. Right. My number two is from 2003. Man, this movie is beautiful, and it's a really, really great period film. Puts you on the boat with Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. I think I've talked about this before. It's a really, really period-specific and just very accurate depiction of what it would be like to be a sailor in the early 1800s i want to say maybe mid 1800s uh i think it was early 1800s and it it's they get into these ship battles with like this other ship that's that's trailing them and they're shooting cannons and being shot at and what it would really be like to be in a in a a giant ship like that being ripped apart by cannon shot man that'd be really he was really good in that film yeah he was what's his name um cameron not cameron crow Uh, no um crow yeah 
But it's not Cameron no, Crowe. That's not. the director. It's uh, uh, Russell. Russell Crowe. Russell, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. My number one. Hollywood. Period piece. Mm, we talked about it before. 1952, Singing in the Rain. Mm. Singing in the Rain. Now, wait a minute. G- what? Wasn't that set in 1952? No. Oh, no, my right, friend. It was set. about going for right. silent films and talkies. talkies. That's right. what it was all yeah, about. Yeah. Hearing my bad. Voice. My bad. Yeah, my voice. mistake. Thank you. Gene Kelly, uh, Donald O'Connor, and of course, uh, Debbie, uh, Debbie Reynolds and... Uh, the, the transition from silent films to talkies. And, and like you said a couple of weeks ago, that sequence uh, uh, with Gene Kelly is just so magical and pure and beautiful to see. That's my number one. Yeah. I was, uh, I was just listening to it again recently, that scene, and just, uh, just the audio of do, it. Do, I have it on my do, phone. Do. You do? It's, it's so, on your phone? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, he, his, oh, I thought it was a ring call. When somebody calls you, it plays No, that. I have that. Oh, it's just song. on your phone. Yeah, just okay. I can... I could play it on my phone. Yeah. And uh, I think I was playing it for Madeline or something. And it's just a really, it's just so well put together. That film's really, really nice. It holds yeah. up well. Yeah. Uh, my number one period film from 1975. We had the director's assistant in the studio with us from 1975. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, just a minute. Let's back up. Oh, I know what it is. What? Uh, it's, it's, um, the name of the movie is the person's name. You're right. Barry Lyndon. Yes. Pretty good, huh? Yeah. I still got it. I don't know of a better period film. I mean, everything was hyper-specific and very, very accurate. Uh, you know, famously, they shot the whole movie by candlelight. They had to bring right. in specialty lenses that could uh, you know, basically accept that much or that little light to be that accurate. Everything was just very, very detailed and accurate of the time. And that kind of added to the myth and legend of Kubrick. I think Kubrick does this a lot. You could do the same thing with uh, Full Metal Jacket, which was also a period film. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of that, but I feel like some of those are a little easier. This would have was a, a huge challenge, a huge undertaking, and he really achieves it. So, uh, well done. That's my favorite period film of wow. all time. Wow, nice. Yeah, man. Nice on you. This was good. Even though we had slightly different topics, they still... It was an well, I'm glad that we bash. did because we would have had some overlapping. Oh, if it was just Hollywood, you would have nixed that idea, Robert. You would I would have said have. no to that. Yeah. Too limiting. Too limiting. Because the only... Uh, the ones that you mentioned... I think probably, I did the five. Yeah. Are, are there others? There I think, are. I think, like I think you're missing Hail Caesar, which is another Coen Brothers right, film. Right, right. And I don't know if you'd seen that, but it's good. Right. I mean, I like it, but that's a period film right. that is about Hollywood. I thought about Sunset Boulevard would have been another scoop of mine. But right. Yeah, but there wouldn't have been too many others. Barton Fink is another one. Oh, He's a screenwriter. Good. Yeah. Um, so there are some... But, well, you do have a few. Yeah, right, that's But right. they're not many, and I, th- I think we would definitely would have been overlapping. Absolutely. So Good. So it worked out well. Yeah. <sighs> hey, man. What are we doing next week, Robert? Next week yeah, do tell. is your birthday. It's my birthday? Yes. Again? Every year. Oh, is that how that works? Yep. Oh. Sometimes twice a year. No. Just like Santa Claus. Just, really? He comes twice a year? Yeah. I didn't know that. Thanks to Mrs. Claus. <laughs> uh, yeah, next week <laughs> is your birthday, bud. <laughs> Look at that. And we... What? Oh, I've got yeah. a review of a movie that uh, you it's, selected. It's one of my all-time favorites. Called? The Apartment. All right. The Apartment. And uh, we'll talk about that. And we, uh, we'll watch it. We're urging our listeners like to watch this. it. I like this. You know, every birthday we do a little retro film. It's uh, like, hey, it. what's one of that's your really favorites? Great. That's right. Make the other person watch a movie that they would not have otherwise watched. And uh, let's talk about it. I love it. Yeah, man. I love it. This is all good. Cool. I think we did it. We did. Let's thank our producer. Producer Joey did a great job this yeah. week. Yeah. Look at Madeline. 
We're going to watch the apartment. If people have some top fives that they want to submit, their top five period or Hollywood period films, I'm sure we're going to get a bunch of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can send us an email to robert at antiwavepodcast.com or... And slash or ira at antiwavepodcast.com. Or you can shoot us a message over at Twitter or Instagram. Our handle over there is at antiwavepod. That's right. We're all over the place, aren't we, Robert? We're especially we're hot in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, we're on Podbean. Just go to our website. Or you could throw us a few buckets. A few buckets? Buckets? A buckets? few shekels. Shekels, shekels. How about that? Or buckets shekels. of shekels, buckets as of it shekels. were. To keep the sprocket holes moving over at Patreon. That yes. really helps. Yeah. So we can pay the bills around here. All right. Uh, that about does it for this week, I think, right? We did it. All right. Hey, man. Once yeah. upon a time in podcast land, I think we achieved this one. I like what you just did. You just did. A, you, you made it a circle. I'm wrapping up. You did up, a loop back. You made, you made it more organic. Yeah, and you just stepped all over it yeah, by I calling did. out what it I did. So, I made it sloppy. I'll delete this out. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So until next week, when I can really achieve another comeback. <laughs> around, uh, keep watching movies. And we'll help you sort them out. You know?